The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Welcome to the 50th episode of Talent Talk Asia. Today's guest is a special one. Meet Kevin Gibson, founder of Proof of Search, a blockchain specialist recruitment business based in Australia, a former CEO of Robert Waters Latin America, an all-round legend within the global recruitment community. It's not every day that we have a guest on the show that has over 27 years recruitment experience across multiple markets such as London, Australia, Singapore, Japan and Latin America, working for the likes of Robert Walters, Erstreen and Morgan and Banks. Kevin has led an extraordinary life, starting as a consultant in London at Robert Walters to setting up their Australia and Singapore operations, building out their Japan business and their and their business at Latin America as their CEO. Fast forward to 2021 and Kevin is back in Australia where he recently founded Proof of Search, a recruitment firm that focuses on sourcing blockchain professionals for organisations. If you're a recruiter and figuring out the future of digital payments and what it means for the recruitment industry, then we suggest you turn into this pod. We tune into this pod. You will get to hear insightful stories from someone that has the inside track on Robert Waters. Yes, the actual person. Uh, and you'll get to hear how he set up and built out some of the most profitable businesses. But most importantly, he's probably one of the most interesting, unique and energetic guys I know. You're in for a real treat. This is what is in store for you today. Well, when I, when I finished in, um, uh, with Coopers uh, and Librarian in, in Africa, I just spent a bit of time traveling around Germany. I, I, I was a Brickies laborer in, in London for a while. And I came back home to Australia. I come from a sheep farming family. So I went and worked on a sheep shearing team for five months in the desert, save money and go traveling. So I kind of just traveled and traveled for two years, just sort of backpacking and doing odd jobs. And I, I went to London in um, the end of 93. I thought I've got to get a real job. And it was strange enough, it was actually Michael Page that got me interested in, in being a recruiter because this is before email, of course. I, I called up and said, Kevin Gibson, Coopers and Librand, uh, University of Queensland. They assumed I was a freshly admitted you know, ACA uh, from um, Yeah, that's uh, what I did, looked at your LinkedIn. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have yeah, even yeah, had exactly. LinkedIn then, right? You wouldn't have even had LinkedIn. I, yeah. I got I got an interview on the strength of a phone call. You could do that back in the day, right? Just call up if if you had a good story on the phone, you you're you're in so so I, I got into I went to Page House there and I'm sitting there and had a, like a fifty pound suit and eight hot dog buttons and not looking very good and people walking past in reception going, Who's this guy? You know, I'd been like What's he doing here? And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like sort of feeling like I'm, oh, I'm really out of my depth here. Uh, and then while I'm sitting there, there was a brochure in, 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 the, in reception there, become a recruiter. I'm like, I'll pick that up. That looks pretty good, you know. 
anyway, I went to reception. I went went into the interview room with the, with the with the recruiter, and she looks at my CV. And we've all been there as a recruiter. You look at the CV, and your and your 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 head just drops. Goes, oh no, I, I I can't I can't place I cannot place this person. I have to be polite for twenty minutes, and um. She goes, oh, so you worked in Coop's library in Africa. I'm like, yep. What, what systems did you use? Like, we didn't have any computers. I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm turning up at Michael Page. I couldn't even spell the word Excel. I was useless. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the 50th episode of Talent Talk Asia. Now, when I realized it was the 50th episode was coming up, I knew I had to have the, I knew I had to get a guest. You knew I had to get someone special. So someone that would captivate the audience, share their stories, that would leave the listeners wanting more. Unfortunately, I couldn't get who I really wanted. So I've got Kevin Gibson instead. There we go. Uh, Only kidding. I don't mind. I don't mind being a backup. Thanks for thanks for uh, <laughs> asking me. No, in all seriousness, when I was sitting there debating who would be my who would be my fiftieth, um, it just had to be you. So I am absolutely stoked that I've got you on board. So for those listeners out there that aren't familiar with Kevin Gibson. He's known in the recruitment community as a complete legend. From his time setting up the Australia and Singapore office, Robert Walters, building out the Japan business for Robert Walters, the most profitable office, Robert Walters Group, outside of the UK. But it's not just his accomplishments that have made him memorable. It's his ability to reach and touch people at all levels and across cultures. And he has a complete contagious energy about him. Welcome, Kev. I'll stop talking now. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, Very good. Really well. Loving loving the pad that you got there. Yeah, and I'm I'm um, I'm on the hill. If anyone knows Australia, I'm living in the Sunshine Coast, um, up on the hill in um, uh, a little sort of town called Coolum. It's a little like a country town on the beach. It's gorgeous. Uh, so I spend a lot of my, some of my time uh, here on the deck and some of my time in a co-working space up at Noosa. So it's, it's a wonderful place to, uh, to operate. So we're Good. doing this at your 11 o'clock in the morning. So have you gone and had a bit of a swim on the beach this morning? Yep, I've been down there for a swim and a bit of a run this morning. So yeah, feeling good. Not bad, not bad. So let's take let's 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 take you back to the early life of Kevin. So when I first had a look at your LinkedIn a few days ago, because I don't even think I've ever really gone and studied your LinkedIn from start to finish when I was doing my research, and I just kind of skimmed over your graduation part and looked at University of Queensland and thought that I saw ACC ACCA and I thought, oh, he's a qualified accountant. All right, okay, got it. And it was only when we were talking, it was actually Aqua, it was actually in Ghana. So talk me through that. Like, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that. So um, interesting, but believe it or not, I was uh, accidentally being a recruiter when I was at university when I was 19. Mm. Uh, many people in the finance sector would have, oh, something just broke. So, something so, broken in the background. It's fine, it's fine. Don't worry, it's okay. Um, uh, no, so when I was at university, I was a member of an organization called ISEC, which was an international business student organization. And what we did was get jobs in our home city for overseas students. And there was a matching process. It was pre-internet, happened four times a year. So I was director of exchange at Queensland University. So I'd go out to companies like Woolworths and PwC yeah. and say, hey, can I, I can get you a guy from overseas. I don't know who they're going to be, but you've just got to accept them, right? And so we used to get, say, four or five jobs and we'd go to the matching and there'd be an exchange four times a year so I um, I graduated in 91 the economy wasn't very good I put my my form in and said I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything yeah and the week before my mate goes I bet you get sent to Ghana which is kind of no one wants to go to yeah. Ghana sure <laughs> enough 
I got matched to Ghana as <laughs> uh, as an auditor for uh, uh, Coopers and Librand, as it was back then, the precursor to PwC. So I was an uh, I was um, uh, an auditor. I was on fifty dollars a week, living with a host family, washing myself with a bucket. Um, oh and, my gosh! Uh, there, was, there, there was two foreigners in 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 downtown Accra. Me and Rob Vibar in the gym. We were the only white people in the city. So. And this is before, it's 1991, there was no internet. So life was still an adventure. And I'd, I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. I was this like little boy from Australia and ended up in Africa. So it was a bit bit shocking What at was first, it like living I, there? What was it like? I, I, at first it was quite shocking, right? There was so much poverty and you know, yeah. lepers on the streets. And I was like really kind of freaked out. Wow. Uh, but um, after a while, everyone spoke English. Everyone was friendly. It was actually very safe for Africa. So I loved it in the end. Uh, I really... Uh, look back at it as one of the most, um, uh, you know, sort of enlightening periods of my life. Yeah, have you ever gone back there? Have you ever gone back back there? No, I I really, I really want to, but I'm still in contact with my host family. My host father is a a big swinger in the government now. Right. Um, I really want to go back there at some point. Um, You know, this whole post-COVID world is, um, we're going to do these things, right? But yeah, no, it was a wonderful experience. I got to spend time traveling in West Africa through the Ivory Coast, Mali, Burkina Faso, Togo, crazy countries like that so it was it was a wonderful nine month period when I was 22. So having that kind of experience at the age of 22 how the hell did you land in London and end up working for Robert Walters? Well when I when I finished in um uh with uh Coopers and Library in in Africa I just spent a bit of time traveling around Germany I I I was a Brickies laborer in in London for a while and I came back home to Australia I come from a sheep farming family so I went and worked on a sheep shearing team for five months in the desert save money and go traveling so I kind of just traveled and traveled for two years just sort of backpacking and doing odd jobs and I I went to London in um the end of 93 I thought I've got to get a real job and it was strange enough, it was actually Michael Page that got me interested in, in being a recruiter because this is before email, of course. I, I called up and said, Kevin Gibson, Coopers and Librand, uh, University of Queensland. They assumed I was a freshly admitted, you know, ACA uh, from um, But yeah, the uh, dumb I didn't look at your LinkedIn. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have even yeah, had exactly. LinkedIn then, right? You wouldn't have even had LinkedIn. I- yeah, I got I got an interview on the strength of a phone call. You could do that back in the day, right? Just call up if if you had a good story on the phone. You yeah. you're you're in. So so I I got into I went to Paige House there, and I'm sitting there and had a, like a fifty pound suit and Aww. eight hot dog buttons and not looking very good. And people walking past in reception going, "Who's this guy?" You know, I was like, what's he doing here? And and I'm sitting there, I'm like sort of feeling like I'm oh I'm really out of my depth here. Uh, and then while I'm sitting there, there was a brochure in 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 the in reception there. Become a recruit. I'm like, pick that up. That looks pretty good, <laughs> you know. And I went to reception. I went went into the interview room with the, with the with the recruiter, and she looks at my CV. And we've all been there as recruiter. You look at the CV, and, you, and your 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 head just drops. Goes, oh no. Oh no, I haven't pre-screened I've got, properly. I, I've wasted I, I, my I time here. I can't place. I cannot place <laughs> this person. I have to be polite for twenty minutes, and. Um, she goes, oh, so you worked in Coops Library in Africa. I'm like, yep. <laughs> what, what systems did you use? Like, we didn't have any computers. I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm turning up at Michael Page. I couldn't even spell the word Excel. I was useless. <laughs> Absolutely useless. And she's like just shaking her head going, oh, no. Oh, and, um, life wire here. Oh. And, and, and I pulled out the, I pulled out the, um, uh, the recruiter said, can I do this? That recruiting looks pretty good. <laughs> and she goes, you got a British passport? No, nah, she says, forget it. So she she sent me off. Um, and that was the end of they, that for Michael Page. And I, no, they actually got me a data input job at um, uh, 
at the traffic department and then I got a credit control job at Guy's Hospital. But then I actually called up Robert Walters and I thought, oh, I'm going to try. I read about recruiting. I want to do it. I did the same thing. I called up Andy Taylor, it was. And I said, oh, hi, Kevin Gibson, Coopers and Librand. Bachelor of Commerce, University of Queensland. Go, oh, sure, great, come in. I'm at late <laughs> stages with Michael Page. <laughs> anyway, so, so I, got, I got into into the office at Robert Walters, and um, see, that's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, you didn't even go to like Office Angels or Reed or like a really low. You went to Robert Walters. You just thought, yeah, I'll just call them. I just, I literally was random. I saw an ad in the pay in, the, in nine to five back then, and and I walk in and and Andy, yeah, I hand our CV and I'm ready for it, and he goes. He looks at my CV and he goes, ah. and I'm like, I know what you're thinking and I'm sorry for wasting your time, but I've been doing a lot of research about recruiting and I've got five questions for you. Can we talk about that? <laughs> and he goes, all right, all right, all right. You got brilliant. me. He throws my CV away and I, I spent you know, 45 minutes grilling him about being a recruiter. And then after my job being a credit controller, they called and said, oh, I'm a credit controller now. So you still want to be a recruiter? I'm like, hell yeah. And they got me in and I went through the process with like, Six or seven. Ben Anderson hired me in the end. So how did you? Um, so did they? So what? What happened with the whole visa thing? Then they just sponsored I, you. I, 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 yeah, I, Ben Anderson just pushed it through. You're not sure, are you? You're not sure whether no, like you had one or not, are you? Ben Anderson was was a Kiwi and running contracting at the time, and he just said, "I like this kid. Let's make him find a way to hire him." So I was kind of somehow employed Gosh, in London. That's in, amazing. In so yeah. you, so you, so you got in as a junior recruiter, I gather. Like, t- yeah, tell was, me about was, what the was, office looked like I, back then. I thought it was the most amazing place I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all these like really well dressed English people all floating around, <laughs> and there's an office in Covent Garden. I, I, all my mates going, "What? You have got a job at Robert Walters? How did you do <laughs> yeah, that?" It's like, pretty unbelievable, I don't know. doesn't it? Um, so I remember this, the first thing Ben, Ben Hyde goes, right, we're going to pay you X. It was like 12,000 pounds or something. And I said, oh, awesome. Fantastic. Goes, first thing we've got to do, we've got to buy some clothes because you look terrible. So they took, <laughs> Ben took me out and bought me a Christian Dior suit, a couple of pairs, a pair of oh, shoes, a couple of shirts, a couple of clothes. I had no, I had no, I had no real, real clothes. I was, Aww. I was. Awesome. Does that kind yeah, of give so you I, a bit of sense of loyalty then because of I, those early days? Yeah. 100%. And then, then by a pure sort of you know, logistical accident, my desk was right next to Rob. So it was like here, there was, there was 90 person office, a big L shaped, right? And I was like in the, in the beginning of the L and at the end, at the, that, that right point is Rob's office. Like, he was like there. Well, he right was in an office or was on the, he wasn't on the desk? He had his own it? office. He had his own office and right. his door open. His basically door open would hit my chair. So he could hear um, you but, then. He could basically hear you outside. That was a bit nerve wracking, wasn't it? Keeps you on the phone. <laughs> keeps you on the phone. <laughs> I think I was like, I was like, it was there like, hey man. I was like, so, I, so, so if my manager wasn't there, I just roll my chair back and go, hey Rob, what do you reckon about this? I just Did you really? Asking. Yeah, yeah, all the time. I just like, hey Rob, I've got a question. Oh my god, I, I, bet, he, I bet he I just guess, didn't know I what guess, hit him. I, I guess bet. he'll know all the answers. He's got all the answers. He runs the show, right? So he's got more he's experience got his name than anyone. On the door. What did other people think that are on the desk as you? Because everybody thinking, oh bloody hell, what's this Aussie doing there? He's talking to the big boss. No, no, everyone was totally cool. Just like oh, proactive kid. They were like so some random farm kid uh, who's just asking questions. It was me and Darren Morris. We're the only two Australians in the company. He started two weeks before me. Oh, that is funny. So what were you doing then when you first started? What were you actually doing? 
was facing operations contracts. So it was the most junior roles we had. So it was like right. Eurobond settlements, reconciliation clerks on a temporary basis, like anywhere from you know four weeks to, to three months. Uh, so I could actually get my mates from uni jobs who came across. It was like it was it was very basic cold calling, and they right. they gave me the Credit Suisse account really young. God, that's all uh, right. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, there was no email back then, so it was just cold calling. Just all phones, and, yeah, and, so, and drinking and drinking pints at lunchtime. <laughs> God, that was that back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because three three days a week, I'm out, I'm out on the um uh out on the what's that that little railway out to Canary Wharf. I was out there, you know, smashing two or three pints every two or three days. Uh, it's a dream with, job. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Did I you believe did it. you ever feel a bit out of place though? Because I mean, I know Robert Walters wasn't quite like this. I know Michael Page was more like this. That, um, did you feel a little bit out of place because a lot of people come from kind of a, the you know the proper you know big fours oh, yeah. or stuff like that and you were like this kind of you know real oh, yeah, Aussie? But, yeah, look, I was obviously you know I was very different from everyone else coming from a you know a sheep timing background and you know living in Africa <laughs> and stuff like that. So um, I, I wasn't sort of thing, but I think that's the that's the strength of Robert Walters over the years. You know, we we've always managed to identify people who are a little bit left of center but who've got the energy and passion and, yeah, and I think, thing. Right. I think that's why the Rob Walters culture is so great yeah. because we'll go and hire people that that some of the more conservative firms Michael Page uh, yeah. wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't consider right and and that, that, that's what makes our, our our the organization so fantastic so look everyone was super welcoming and uh, yeah they uh, people just I guess you know bought into sort of you know a bit of a different point of view and a bit of energy so no it was all good <laughs> yeah all I bet good. they would have had to have energy with you with you around that's so right. so just sort of um think in terms of your career history from there then you're in London and then when you look at your LinkedIn you then got the opportunity to set up Sydney office Robert Waters so yeah, How, one, mean, that... one year. Well, I was twenty-five. One year of placing temps in London, and then Ben pulls me into Rob's office. and goes, "Kev, do you want to go and start the Sydney office?" I'm like, "What?" Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I thought this was just normal. Oh yeah, got a year's experience. I'll go and open a country. Um, so it's got you and Darren. I guess the thinking was we we both. I, I think I was the eighth biggest builder in the firm within nine months or something. It was a right. bull market, so placing temps was was pretty easy in the nineties. And uh, there was less competition. It was it was it was great fun, and we had great marketing, great resources. So we were off to the races in '94. Um, so I was making lots of money, and so was Darren. They figured, well, you've got these two Aussies. They don't need visas. They're still pretty young. They're still pretty cheap. And like, and the business plan was this: right, we've got all these Australians who are coming off the con off their contracts in London. Yeah. Who are going back to London? They're going back to Sydney. And Robert Michael Page had fifty people back then in a Sydney. We're going. We've got to make some money out of this, you know. So. That would, I think the business plan was like go down there and place all the all the guys that finished contracts who are going back to Australia. That was the plan. So they, back then there was still no email. So they gave us a laptop with thirty five candidates and said, "Good luck." <laughs> and off we went. Wow! So no email. So it was just phone call communication between between Rob and it, and this is this is this is where the amazing arbitrage opportunity existed in 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 ninety five. So we we turn up in in Sydney, me and Darren, right. And we'd, we'd just call up, you know, people like Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse. And we'd have all the contacts from our guys in London. Said, oh, I'll talk to this guy in Sydney. You talk to this guy in Sydney. So we had a full list of referrals. So we called, hi, we deal with Paul in London. He said, come and see you. Now we're in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, I'll come down. So look, all we're going to do is show you returning Australians. We're not going to displace your local recruiters. All we're going to do is add, you know, different, right. you know, a different right. talent. Right. So, right. so, so, so there was no real sort of, you know, um, 
difficulty in, in getting client meetings. So we get so we so we go down there, we get a bunch of jobs. Like okay, we've got a product controller, your middle office, back office, standard Robert Walter stuff, auditing. Yeah. So we so we get the jobs. We we'd go back. We. Uh, Darren and I would go to the gym, then we'd come back to the office at 7.30 at night and start calling our old temps because we had no email. Going, hey, man, I've got a job at JP Morgan. Yeah, middle of, yeah, mate, fax my CV down. Um, <laughs> so we'd actually we'd actually get this because we knew when they were coming back, right? They are going, well, his, yeah. his visa finishes on July 20. He's going to be back in the country. We had a whole list of our 50 best temps and when they were going to be in Australia. So we just told them, mate, get him a job, fax the CV down. And you, and, you, and you send these candidates down. There was a real skill arbitrage between London and Sydney back then because they were just derivatives were just getting going. And these clients would call you straight back going, oh, my God, where did you get this guy? I said, oh, he worked for me for three months. I know him well. Is he, have you interviewed him? Yeah, I know him really well. He goes, when is he back? We want to see him. So it was like showing cavemen fire. They loved it. Like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, how wonderful. So, what great experience, though. Was it nice to be back in Australia as well? Did you sort oh, of- it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'd never lived in Sydney before. I was a Queenslander, so yeah. But the funny part was, we, they'd they'd get off the plane in Sydney, and we'd see them first, right? And we'd oh, we've got your interview here, 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 done. And then they then they'd finally rock into Michael Page, and they go, "Hi, oh, we've got a job at Deutsche Bank. Already interviewing. Got a job at JP Morgan. Already interviewing." I'm like, "What? What? Because they hadn't tied that bit up. They just assumed that they would oh, they, they would that, wait for them to come in. That's quite arrogant, though, isn't it? It's just sheer arrogance in terms of just not being that innovative on it, right? Anyone can come oh, in and that, take that. That was that was that was so big and making so much money. Yeah. We just, we were, they thought they thought there was ten of us and there was two of us. Oh my god, that's <laughs> hilarious! So what? Yeah, so so is everywhere, man. <laughs> so I know that that led you to set up to set up Singapore. So if so, you're 95 in Sydney with with Darren yep. setting up Sydney yep. office. What happened with that in terms of the office? Because obviously it's massive office now. Oh, we, so we, what happened with that? Yeah, we, we, grew, we grew to about 15 people. Jeremy came down, uh, hired Susie, hired a bunch of really good people. Um, so we sort of just grew like a little office does over the first two to three years. Um, but at that time, Credit Suisse was still our major client. Um, they were centralizing their back office into Singapore, right? They were the first yeah. regional hub. Yeah. And Susan Wilde was the global head of back office HR, ex-Robert Walters. And another great thing about yeah, our, the Robert Walters business, the, the alumni network is second yeah. to none. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Back. Yeah. Um, and I uh, said, oh, well, and, and Rob said, look, hey, hey, we need to do something in Singapore. Kev, meet me in Singapore. I'm like, all right. So I, I flew to Singapore, met Rob, and they said, oh, we need to hire 45 people. And we like working with you, but you've got no office. And Rob just goes, oh, we'll give you Kev for a month. I'm like, what? <laughs> So, so, I, so I moved to Singapore. I didn't go anywhere. Um, as, as kind of like, you know, resource, beta resource solutions. It was just me and a, and a, and a um, we, had, we had email by then. So oh, just, at least I that's something. And, and unlimited advertising budget. So I, I went there four weeks and two weeks. We placed like 45 people in so these are, what, these are what, um, accountants going into, oh, a Poor purely back operation. office. So locals yeah. into local roles. Not, yeah, okay. A few, a few Aussies in there as well. Um, but mostly Singaporeans into custody, you know, you know, fixed income, you know, derivatives, um, FX operations, all the back office stuff. So just um, so you. So where were you working out of then? I had an office at Credit Suisse. They gave me an office. Oh, you sat in there. How was how was how was that? I get this feeling you'd be exactly like you were working with Rob, like the loudest one on the floor, disrupting well, uh, everybody. No, it, it, it was, I'd never kind of worked in an office before. It was really weird. I, I was given an office in Credit Suisse. Oh, like a, some, ooh, I don't think you'd like that. Was that no like one's coming sort of at all? And it was, it, was, it was next to HR and they were like, what's he doing in 
Yeah. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that guy? Um, that was kind of given free reign by line management, right? Um, so I had an office there. I was, I was spending my time interviewing. And, and I, the, the most amazing thing, I'd actually go to the meetings with the Hall of Heads of Operations. So like, I'd sit there going, okay, we're going to do this, this. What do we got, Kev? Well, we got this guy from here, this guy from here. And we just, it was, it was a frenzy of hiring. So we placed 45 people in that. That's think, amazing. So what I'm interested to know is why, like some lot of people did, when they went on site to a client, they stayed. So what got you to not stay? Because I'm sure Credit Suisse could have hired you, right? Uh, what got you to still be pulled back to Rob, to stay with Robert Walters? Oh, well, I, I just I just I saw an opportunity. It was like, we should be here because Michael Page was there. And there's another fellow. I just went back to Rob and said, we need to open the office here immediately. There is no competition. Um, we've already played. We've probably we've placed probably more people in Singapore than any recruiting firm on the ground. We need to take advantage of this now. How was he about so stuff back, like that then? I mean, that's, you know, he's great. taking a yeah, whim on see, you. How, how is he about stuff like that? I wrote a business plan. It was approved in a week. Okay, good. Let's go. But back, we were, back then there was only 150 of us, right? Right. I think it was, it was, you know, it was a small, we, we weren't a public company then. We were, I think so we were willing to private. take those risks. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was much easier to do. So that, I just said, yeah, let me go. I want to go. I love it. I so so you brought Mark Elwood out from the UK. So for listeners out there that the most listened to podcast episodes of Tantal Asia um, is Mark Elwood, which just cracks me up. We still think it's his daughters watching it every day just to bring the numbers up. But anyway. Um, so I've, watched it, I've watched it a couple of times. You listened to it a couple <laughs> of times. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. So, so Mark Elwood. Check. Why not? So Mark Elwood was working at Michael Page at the time with me. I was working with him then. And you brought Mark out from the UK, Michael Page, to set up or to, yeah, to build out financial services. So tell me about that. That's just such a cool history. Oh, it was awesome. Because um, I got a referral from him from, from Kim Knowles. Kim Knowles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, look, there's a great yeah. kid there. So I, I, I call him. Yes, yeah, it's the day of the I called him. Yeah, it was, would have been 8 or 9 o'clock in London. A.M. Oh, A.M. So he's doing candid yeah, no, review. No, 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 exactly. I, I knew it. I was like, <laughs> said, hi, Kevin Gibson. I run Robert Walters um, in, in Singapore. Look, I know you're in candid review and you can't talk right now. <laughs> so just take my phone number down and call me back when you can speak. And oh, my goes, God. I would have been okay, sitting okay, next to him okay. when you were doing that. And he would have been Probably. so polite as well. And yes, Probably. okay, thank yeah, you very no, much. It, it, I'll, uh, I'll call you back later. Yeah. Took it in his stride. He was like, yeah. So did you just keep it. battering him? Because I, 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 no, I, no, it just happened. I said, "Hey, man, look, I hear you're really good. I'm opening this. I hear you know he'd been to Malaysia. He was had an interest in Asia." I said, yeah, with my husband. Out? He I went just... on holiday to, with my husband. That's that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he went to. Yeah. But, um, Thanks, Matt. Where did he go? Um, Malacca or something? I don't know. Malaysia. Something. Yeah, it was Malaysia. He'd yeah. been to Malaysia. He's sort of he sort of you know like the sort of you know um, yeah. I guess the weather primarily. Uh, I think, and uh, I said, "Okay, oh, hey, look, look let's just let's just come. I'll fly you out, mate. I'll fly you out." And as Mark referred to, he got to the airport and the ticket wasn't paid for. He thought yes. it was some sort of uh, some troll, some some joke. But he paid for himself. I picked him up, right? Picked him up. It was like six or, six o'clock. Dropped my hotel. So of course we go straight out on the, on the beers and dinner. But he must and, and be just, shitting himself, thinking you weren't going to pay though. I'd be so worried yeah, that, that it's not going to get that, that money back. Yeah, no. It was within within five minutes of going through immigration. It was all sorted. Right. So off we went, yeah, you know, for dinner and drinks. We're out. I think was it. Um, uh Papa Joe's back then and um Papa Joe's was like we went out there till like really really late um and said and we thought we'll do a formal interview tomorrow so we just spent the whole evening getting on like a house on fire this is definitely going to work anyway so the next day I said meet me at the office and we'll do a formal interview anyway what 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 I'd done got me at the office I'd actually got a feng shui consultant said right 
you need to have goldfish in the office, right? And it had like seven black and two really? red. Right. Anyways, and I, I started a goldfish tank there. Anyway, but, but someone didn't tell me that they, they when, when the air conditioning goes off on the uh, on the weekends, the, 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 the heat, the water heats up. Oh, my so, God. So, so I, I, so I, I, I walk into the office about 11 o'clock the next morning with it sort of, you know, feeling a bit rusty, a bit, a bit rough after the night with, with Mark. And I open the door is it, uh, at, and, and this horrible smell of dead fish comes no! out. Like, oh. No! No, it was like an I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like gagging. I'm like, oh, oh God. That's so disgusting. I go inside. Sure enough, there's like nine dead fish just floating on the top <laughs> of the tank. And I'm just stinking. I'm nice like, welcome oh, for Elwood. Anyway, so 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 I, I'm, I'm there with the net, scooping the dead fish out. The next thing, Mark walks in. I'm going, ah, welcome to the office. <laughs> I'm sitting there with a, with a net full of dead fish. I'm like, yeah, professional outfit, man. So how many people were in? Was it an office? I mean, it was an office, but was it Six yeah, Battery Road at that stage? Yeah, level eleven. It was so it was first, still level eleven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, so it was how many people were there bit. then when he interviewed? When he came uh, over. Was that, uh, six or seven. There was me, uh, Javin, Roger, uh, Wendy. Uh, no, Roger hadn't joined, but yet um, it was um, Roscoe was there. Uh, I think Alan was there. It was um, about yeah. six or seven of us. There wow. was, it wasn't it. So he, you got um, him to come and do financial services. Yeah. So, so we got a, we did a deal, and he and he came out. So it was awesome. So we had a great great time. Great time. That was amazing. One of, one of my, so one of my greatest friends, old Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is our that is our common connection. So, how much interaction did you have with Rob at the time in your career? Did he guide? Did he guide you, or did he sort of leave you to it? Yeah, I think that's Rob's strength. He sort of, uh, especially back in the young days, he had the freedom to give young people the, um, the the chance to go out there and prove themselves. There was there was less of the, I guess, corporate governance that that um, decisions have to go through now. Uh, so it was a genuine freedom. Um, so we kind of like, we sort of took his lead on, you know, what, what was the right sort of culture and the right process and off we went, right? There was a lot of, you know, a lot of trust back then and, and young blokes. It was, yeah. it was really good. And I'd say quite a lot of us would be quite envious of your relationship because I think no, as much as, I mean, Mark was there 15 years, I was there 13 years, you know, we'd see him every year and, you know, you'd, you'd go to other offices with him and travel with him and stuff like that. But I don't think any of us could actually say we were close to him. Um, I mean, respected, but not close. So we always sort of looked at your relationship. You know, we'd hear stories from Dick said, oh, you know, we'd hear stories from Rob saying, oh, yeah, Kev came over and he had a barbecue. We had the, you know, we just, there was always that kind of, oh, wow. So I'd love to, I'd love you to describe for me, you know, um, your relationship. You know, what's it, what, what was, what is it like? What was it like? How did that develop over time? Good, bad, and oh, no, I mean, I, I think the, um, uh, I mean, I, I was, it was, it was a lot of luck, right? I got to sit beside him every day and I was quite proactive in just going and chatting with him all the time. I think, in, in, I think, you know, the English culture is like a little bit like, you know, they're a little bit more status conscious than Australians. Yeah. Like, oh, that's right, we can't talk to him. But yeah, it's like, he's the boss. Yeah. I, I talked to him all the time. So I kind of just injected myself into his life going, hey, mate, I got a question. I remember we actually, uh, we, we did a million pounds in one month back in 94 and, and the whole company was flown to Spain for the weekend. Wow. And I'm like, what, when you're in Singapore or when you're in London? No, no, in London. It was 94. And I'd never been to Spain and we went down there. It was like, you know, if the Amsterdam office came, the Brussels office came and it was, it was just the most incredible thing for a young bloke like me. And I'm like, and, and on Monday I walked into him and said, man, this is a great company, man. I love working here. That was the best thing I've ever done. Thank you very much. I yeah. really love working here. And yeah. he goes, you're the only one that said thank you. I'm like, really? 
Yeah, oh, actually, it doesn't surprise me because I think, yeah, I think maybe not. I mean, maybe I, it's... I was just, I, I was always just hyper appreciative yeah. of every opportunity I was given. So I was like, you know, and I think when I went to Sydney, he loved Sydney so much. He was down there every three months. Yeah, like, he loves me Sydney. and Darren and Sarah, and he'd be down there like every two or three months. I'm like hanging out with him all the time. He was like, I'm gonna tell you a funny story. So we were in the office, right? And it was me and Darren and Sarah, and it was a fourth desk, right? And it was after five or five thirty, so the, the the service office phones would come through, right? Anyway, so I'm on the phone, Darren's on the phone, Sarah's on the phone, and the phone rings. So Rob has to pick it up, and Rob picks up the phone and goes, "Robert Walters," and and someone's obviously gone, "Who's this?" And he goes, uh, "Robert Walters," <laughs> and he goes, "No, no, no, I'm no, I'm actually the guy. Yeah, I'm 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 Rob. Yeah, yes, thing. I am real." I am real, yes, yes, that's me. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm here from London. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's <laughs> so absolute funny. classic. <laughs> this is like, so I got, I got heaps of time with him, right? Um, is so, that yeah, still the just... case now? Because I mean, you've been there a long time. So is that relationship, you know, is it still strong? Oh, is it, you know, things have changed? Can... It's not. What does it look like? I can, I can call him whenever I like. It's fine. But look, he's got a very different job now. He runs a public company. He's got, you know, literally, you know, a billion pounds in revenue. Going. He's got a lot of other things to worry yeah. about. And kind of, I figured kind of like, oh, Kev probably knows what he's doing so now, by now. Yeah, so he kind of leaves me right. alone. But I wonder how so, many I, people in his life will, uh, uh, you know, because I think with someone like yourself, you are authentic and not to kind of make that cheesy, but you will kind of probably say if you're not happy, if you, you know, you're just honest. There's no kind of um, hierarchy with you. Do you think, I wonder whether there's other people like that in his life that have the confidence to be able to say that or whether it, you know, I'm just, you know, just out. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there, there, there's still quite a few guys out there. I mean, it, Rob, Rob is actually open to a bit of honesty. So, you know, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great operator. I mean, he's, you know, what, what, what he has managed to create from a culture perspective is, is nothing short of extraordinary. Yeah, know? and still to keep uh, going, I think, I think, I think is, a, is interesting, isn't it? To keep going, because most people would have probably left years ago. I mean, Michael Page has got the name, but he left years ago, right? He has no interaction with the company. So it's interesting yeah. that he's still kept in it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's his life, but he, I mean, he was... <clears throat> His thing was like he always believed in the company so much, and we projected that belief, and it kind of had an effect on the company. So yeah, no, it's I, I feel very very lucky to have joined the firm so early and sort of just been sat next to him and and be an Australian on the spot when they wanted to open Australia. Kind of like it was a <clears throat> it was an incredible series of events which sort of um uh you know, came my way as a young guy. Yeah. So in two thousand, surprisingly for everybody. You left Robert Walters to join Dum Dum Dan Morgan and Banks in Singapore as their regional head of contracting, um, yep. which was for quite a short stint. So it was only for ten months. So, so you know what the hell happened? Yeah, well, if you if you if you go back to that time, it's like ninety nine two thousand. The the internet job boards was just exploding, and and Monster dot com was 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 really taking over the world. And and Morgan and Banks had done a deal with TMP and Monster. And, and even back then, I was kind of really, really curious to um, to sort of you know get into where the future of recruiting was going. So I was really attracted by that. And I think you know Andrew Banks is a very persuasive guy, right? So he, he was like wanting to really sort of get me across. And there was all sorts of crazy sort of stock options running around with. Monster. But was it just that? Then. Was it just that? I mean, it was. I mean, you walked away from quite a lot, right? In terms of the friendships that you made, the opportunities. You know, I'm still. Do you, do you sort of look back on that in hindsight and go, you know what, I, I, I regret that? Or were you happy you took that leap? 
Well, yeah, everything happens for a reason. I mean, I, I think the you know the, the the day it happened, I was sitting home feeling really bad, and and Mark actually called me and goes, "Do you want to go for a beer?" <laughs> the day I resigned to go to a competitor. So you know, uh, it, it it proves the point that yeah that 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 solid friendships will sort of um, uh, you know cut through sort of recruiting competition in in the end. So and look, if if I hadn't done that I probably wouldn't have been given the opportunity to go to Japan so everything happens for a reason but yeah. you know they're, they're you know I, and you probably your next question is you know why did you go back I mean I, I miss the culture of Robert Walters how would you um, describe it oh it just just more of a family more of a town it seems a bit cliche to say it's a family but it's more collaborative a little bit more fun we didn't take ourselves so seriously yeah I'd, I'd totally I totally agree I, with I, that I don't know yeah I totally agree with that. And I think if you look at you know, the recruitment world in general, you know, a lot of our competitors had like you know, probably more sophisticated processes and systems and all that stuff. But we were always known as the guys that were just – they just like dealing with because the culture of people. We were more fun. Mm. We we're, were a bit more humane and, and, and relatable to our clients. So I kind of you know, really missed that. Uh, so it was um, you know, Morgan & Bank's great firm, very process-driven uh, and not as relationship-driven is probably the, 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 I guess the, the, the best summary of that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, is that so interesting, isn't it, that you know, you'd had opportunities to go elsewhere, but actually the pull of just what you, you, know, you, you underestimate what culture is, right? what it is yeah. to have that sort of camaraderie, that, you know, the, the X factor of the people that you work around. Right? It's quite interesting. Yeah, it's the old, the old cliche, culture each strategy. You know, yeah. <laughs> every yeah. time. Yeah. So, um, and look, the, the opportunity to go to Japan is pretty intense. Yeah. Before you, know, you get there, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm glad you did go to Morgan and Banks because if you didn't, I would not have been asked by Mark to come out and work See, with him in financial services. So, my whole yeah. life is, I just got to say, you know, indebted to you because if you didn't bugger off, I wouldn't have been bringing up my life and career. Um, and family in Singapore. So cheers for that. Um, but I, I, one, one thing that really sticks out in my mind is, and again, it's that whole relationship between you and Rob was we were sitting in a, I think we were having dinner with Rob when he was over a few of us at Boat Key and he wasn't, no, we're having drinks and he wasn't joining us for dinner, which he always would do, right. If he was in town. And so we said, so, you know, okay, where you're off to, it was all a bit, oh, Oh, he's 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 going to um he's going to go and get Kev back, and we all literally we, I can remember it so clearly. I'm going to get Kev back, and it was it was like this kind of heroic thing, it's like doo, doo, doo. you know, really? Oh my god, for what? You know, we all didn't know anything, and then yeah, boom, he got you to come yeah, and to to build out yeah. Japan. So tell me exactly what happened over that dinner. How did he persuade you to come to come back? Coaching provides the space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I was, it was a little, I mean, I was kind of like missing the firm. When you sit down with Rob, it's like old times, like, hey, man, how's it going? It's like, it, it was kind of very organic, you know, come back, come on, mate, you know, and we got, we're going to do this. I think he, what, what, he, what he did sort of say, he said, listen, we believe that, like, because Rob, you know, there's a reason Rob's the man. He yeah. can see stuff before the rest of it can see us. And he said, Japan is going to be huge and I need someone to help me make it huge. 
they had a guy running it. It wasn't sort of it wasn't the guy for the long term. Um, that Grundy said, or someone? someone? No, 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 he, not him. No, it was um, uh, Richard Bysouth, the guy right, who started right, He was running okay. it. Was like, and he got it going, but he didn't didn't think it was right. A so guy. it was already uh, set up. There was a few people there, but it, yeah, there, it there was like to say, be Shane, Shane was there. Shane was pretty much the, the second in charge at Shane Cyber, another good mate of mine. Um, and I uh, said, so we we need someone who can really really go for it. We're going to invest in it. We're going to support you. Um, we need you up there to really go for it. Um, said so, okay. So it was it was a, there was a sort of a real genuine commitment to investing, and and he he really sold me on the Japan dream. Um, so that. But tell me about that. Tell me about moving to Japan. What you know? How many do you get it from? To how did you get it to the point where it was one of the most profitable businesses outside of the UK? I mean, that's that's a huge achievement. Yeah. Look, I, I think you know I, I, you don't want to take too much credit for, for these things. You know, we, our timing was excellent, um, and our support was incredible. Um, you know, we, we, we had, you know, we, we built a Japanese website from scratch, which is completely different architecture from the global website. Um, right, so we, course, we did, what we did, we did so much investment in the marketing and initially, um, I so said when I turned up, there was like 14, 13, 14 people. Shane was there. Um, expats or Japanese? Like what was the makeup of that team at that stage? Did, 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 it, actually, this was pretty consistent. Even when from 50, 15 through to, it was about 170 when I was there at the end, um, it was always putting fifty percent foreigners, fifty percent Japanese okay. recruiters. Okay. Uh, um, uh, maybe a little bit more foreigners actually. Yeah. Um, in recruiting, um, all the back office was mostly Japanese. And was it still kind of the uh, ex-teachers that were at, over there already that could speak a bit of Japanese and like the culture? That was the vast, vast majority of um, uh, foreigners we hired were, were, were living there on the jet program or independent teachers, and they were fantastic people to hire because. At a young age, they decided to go and do something which is a little bit more difficult, a bit more different. It's one thing rocking up to Japan and being the head of Robert Walters. Pretty nice life, right? Um, whereas if you go there as a junior English teacher, you're living in a small box in a country town where you don't know anything. Yeah, um, the real change. Uh, mm. so the, 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 people, the people that had been living in Japan already for a year or two uh, are a pretty resilient you know, adventurous people. Mm. You give them a shot a at, in, in, a, in, a, in a corporate, yeah. they, they thrive, right? Their Japanese is good and stuff. So it was, um, yeah, it was just, a, it was just a culture of success. We didn't we went through a period, I think, six years or five or six years. We didn't lose anyone to a competitor. Wow. Um, and that's that's the real. Tell know, me how, 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 what, what? When you look back on that now, six years without losing, that that's incredible. So what was yeah. it? Do you think that helped achieve that? We were growing so fast. There was always a new challenge for everybody, you know. Um, and we, we sort of, we sort of kept growing. And we turned around. We were like, I think at one point, 70, 80 people, and everyone else was still fifteen or twenty. We, had, we were like, what? What happened? What are you guys doing? Um, but we hadn't. I don't know. We we sort of grown so fast, and it was a we 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 invested so much on on marketing, and we had a great brand, and branding is important up there. Um, so, how, how did it? Who were the top ones at that time? Then, when you, I mean. You know, was it still Michael uh, Page? And because I know there's a lot of RGF. Well, Michael was Page. Michael, Michael Page was there when I arrived. They were probably when I was there. We were fifteen. Now maybe twenty something. Okay. Uh, okay. And we we quickly went round them uh, in about a year and a half and just kept going. East West was a huge, huge local firm, right? Um, and then people started coming in. Obviously, you know, Bernie had started sort of James Harvard, and and they they kept up, and they were I think they got to twenty five or thirty people. They they were they were really good competitors. Um, but it wasn't that many competitors up there, so we just sort of it's 
it was just a less competitive market and the fees, which is so big, we networked with like 30, 35%. Everyone was making a fortune, right? So everyone was like and super still, happy. It's still that. Yeah. It's still that now. I mean, I would have thought it, it, it would have gone down by now. But what was the biggest challenge for you? Because I mean, you, you know, you'd set up, you'd gone to, you know, gone to Ghana, gone to UK, gone to Sydney, gone to Singapore, not, you know, sort of difficult markets in that respect, well, Ghana is, but Japan, I mean, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you in terms of your career? At that point in your career, uh, you know it. it um, when I when I look at compared to Brazil, it, it wasn't challenging at all. But it, it, <laughs> it was just, just trying to get, trying to get my head around because like you know, I you know one quarter I have like thirty people, then I have forty people, then I, and like just like just trying to get my head around actually being less hands on, right? Because I was just like getting there. I, I sort of trying to split my time, and you got like look around like remember dad, mum and dad came to visit once, and we had like 130, 120 people on one floor. And, and they were just, just like huge. We had like 1,200 square meter office and they're all on one floor. And I was sitting in the corner and, and dad walks up and he goes, do they all work for you? Like, <laughs> Are they yes. mental? <laughs> <laughs> all, all of them? Like, yeah, oh, everyone. Oh, all of them. Are you sure? So just, I think the biggest thing is just like to learn to trust your directors. Like there's, there's probably some things going wrong out there that I'll probably never right, know so about. So you had to right? let go but, a little bit. Were the, were yeah, just things let go you just, So was it about just building stronger relationships with your number two so that you could then yeah, lead well, they'd that all work with like you know you know you know Bromi and uh tommy and naeem and casey oh my God, and Simon Bromwell, they, they, naeem. Yeah. yeah yeah so they we, we'd all work together for Gosh. years and years we had the same sort of group of guys together for four or five years and that from 2003 to 2000 and sort of yeah eight. i remember these names so yeah 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 so look we, we, we were just so used to working together um, it all sort of evolved pretty naturally, you know. We, did you have to speak Japanese as well then, Kev, when you were out there? You... It was okay, but Japanese is, a, is not a good headhunting language, right? Yeah, I heard. It, we did it, a podcast with Matt, with, um, Matt Nichols up at Cornerstone Japan, yeah. and he was saying the same. It's actually more of an advantage to be speaking English. Quite yeah, it, 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 in, 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 in the Japanese language, if, if you're like the supplier and you're talking to a, a client – you have to speak in a certain respectful sort of, you know, um, uh, syntax and, and the words you use. So it's it's very hard to influence people um, uh, in Japanese. So I'd I'd um, Japanese recruiters headhunting other Japanese people in English because it was just easier to get wow. things done. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, would you have changed uh, so anything in your time there? Would you, when you look back on that now, would you have done anything differently? No. Nothing. I, I, I mean, the, 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 the human mind is a funny thing. The, the, the longer life goes on, it, 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 it sort of, it's, it's, I think it's a self-protection mechanism that you, you filter out all the bad stuff and you only remember the really yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Especially um, times like this so, with the COVID thing, you do yeah. look at things a bit differently. You spend a little bit more time reflecting and it's not always a good thing. Yeah. yeah, no. So no, I, 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 right now, I could, I, I, it was such a dream run. I had so many great friends. We, you know, we, we built a good business, and it still carries on. And you know, my, uh, my, my fellow Queenslander Jeremy is doing a great job still running it today. So it's, it's wonderful to see it still sort of, you know, holding its position. Yeah, and as, I think that's as, the success as, of a good leader, though, that, that when you leave it, yeah, it's still yeah. standing. So yeah, you're, a, lot of, it, a lot of people still so there. In, so in 2010, you left Robert Waters again to join Earthstream. So you know. At that point in your career in Japan, because I gather you were you MD of Japan. What were your? Yeah, I was running Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So, what made you decide to go and you know what what kind of needs weren't being met at that stage in your career to go to go and look elsewhere? 
Uh, I guess a, a premature midlife crisis. Um, like uh, I've seen a lot of my, a lot of guys I knew would start business from scratch and sell them, and it was like a very different journey. And I'd, I'd been in Japan for, for, for nine years, coming up to a decade. I thought, well, yeah. And I was approached by you know a couple of guys to be one of the co-founders of, of this. Um, oh, were well, you? I didn't know that. Business. I didn't realise it was a co-founder yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Paul Beek uh, approached me to join uh, some guys who, who'd worked with Bernie. Uh, to go and found Earthstream, so investing money and starting from zero and, and having a very aggressive ramp up. Um, and it was going to involve an extraordinary amount of travel, which I just love. Um, so I thought, you know, no, nothing really bad. Um, I just thought, well, t- time to go and do something, um, you know, a little bit more entrepreneurial. And what's know, kind of that whole renewable golf. energy, oil and gas sector? Was that, again, something that kind of interested you that it was different than just doing sort of traditional markets that you would have done at Robert Walters? Yeah, it, 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 look, it was, you know, we, uh, that business model was about, um, was Earthstream was a great name, brilliant brand. Yeah. Because yeah, you, you had mining, energy, uh, renewable energy, and oil and gas. Yeah. Um, so that name sort of is, is, is quite useful for all those three sectors. So we figured it'd be a very good, good business model. Um, and, you know, we, we grew really, really fast. We were like 120 people in like six countries in about 18 months. Did you? And we had, you know, yeah, we had like a, a big chunk of private equity come in. Um, so it was, it was a white knuckle ride for sure. Um, you know, we weren't obviously, you know, generating profit, but we were growing, growing pretty fast. Uh, so where were you based learned- then? You were in, you were in Singapore, uh, weren't you? Uh, I had the world's most expensive closet in Singapore. So right. um, I, I used to be on the, I was in Aspen a lot of time in Africa, a lot of time in the States, uh, a lot of time in Indonesia. Um, I, I was um, doing client meetings in Sierra Leone, oh, you know, stuff like this. Oh, it was, it was incredible. Just the, the, the things right, so that, that I saw, for you, that was, the places that, I've that was seen, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just incredible. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when, when you are so focused on a particular sector, yeah. you know, it can, when it's good, it's great. And you can ride that wave, but when when the sort of sector moves against you, and commodities is arguably one of the more volatile yeah. of those sectors, yeah. and you know in in two thousand and fourteen fifteen the oil price just collapsed, um, and as so much of our business was was in that sector, it just our business just went south so fast. Right. What happened What happened with the business? Oh, we, we 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 just had to dramatically cut costs, cut people, just. <sighs> Yeah, really pull ourselves um, back into line because we, we started, you know, uh, it was very challenged and we're losing money. So we had um, we had a private equity partner, so we had to, you know, move pretty quick. And at the same time, you know, we had we had four founders. So and at the same time, Giles was in town. And said, "Hey, man, how you going?" I said, "Oh, it's pretty tough." And he goes, "Do you want to come back again?" Oh my like, God! So this is Giles. Really? This is Giles. Yeah, Giles. This is Giles. Yeah, Giles, Giles and I are in Little India having a few beers, and he said, "Do you want to come back?" Right, before you te- uh, before you go on to that, so what happened with Earthstream? Is it no longer now? Not going, no, no, absolutely no. So, I mean, you just sold it, your it business to them, did you? you no, sold- I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, a, I'm still a shareholder oh, in the business. Okay. But the business has rolled up into a business called TechStream, right. uh, which is which has um, got um, Earthstream, CloudStream, um, CyberStream, and another special. So it's it's oh, part of a business. Cool names. Yeah. yeah, So it's so it's it's um uh, it's got a another big private equity investment. So I'm a shareholder in that business, um, uh, which is, you know, I've obviously diluted to a certain extent, but it's, it's quite a big business, which is really well um, 
sort of hedged across you know cybersecurity. Right. Uh, so just a shareholder, you're not a board, you're not on the board yeah. or anything like that. No, I'm no, a small right, shareholder. Because when you get private equity and stuff, you you just get diluted away. Yeah. So um, my my shareholding's still there, and it's 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 a solid business with some good management now. So um. So, uh, yeah. So let's get let's get on to how Giles Little India got you to set up Latin America. Tell, talk me through that. Um, oh, it, it just like yeah, Giles is an old friend as well. He said, "Do you want to come back? We're, we're not doing that well in Brazil. We've been there five years, not doing anything. You know, do you want to come back? And you know, I think we should expand in Latin America." Michael Page had like you know eight hundred people. Seriously. Yeah, and we had like twelve. Um, Whoa. So I thought, you know, we're, we're definitely underweight. Whereas, you know, Robert Walters had done really, really well in Asia dominating yeah. that market. You know, the, the, the how well Michael Page has done in Latin America is ex- So why? Why wasn't that concentrated on them? What was the reasons for that not being, you know, for, for being left behind uh, a little it, bit? It, it, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a difficult market. It's a long way away. Um, you know, it, it, the, the bureaucracy in, in those countries is far worse than the bureaucracy even in Indonesia, right? Um, so it was just it was a bit difficult. And I think Michael Page, Michael Page dominate. They're like, um, they had a guy, guy go down there, Felipe, who just, the French guy who just built this incredible team wow. out of Brazil and sent all these Brazilians to Colombia and Mexico wow. and all over the region and, and just built, they, their integration and their brand recognition in Latin America is just extraordinary. And still, still the case now. Yeah. Yep. So you, so you got there in what 2015? Is that when you moved over? Yep. Yep. So what? Yeah, so, so talk I, me through that role, how you built the businesses up, what it looks like, the challenges. Love to know. So, you know, I have no idea what that looks like. So. Yeah. Look, yeah. You know, I, I kind of having sort of worked in these markets, you know, in energy and in Japan and stuff, thought I had kind of had it all worked out, but. Brazil is far more difficult than people realise for, for many way? reasons. Well, I guess the the um, the, the primary thing which I, I wasn't really fully aware of was you know Brazil was just going through the worst economic you know collapse in 120 years. Oh, yeah, you know, it was right. just like it, it made the, the GFC in Australia you know look like nothing. It was just bleeding. Uh, the country, right, and you know, and all the the challenges that come with that, crime goes up, and it's yeah. just quite a, you know, there's a lot of challenges in Brazil you just have no idea about, you know, it's because on the I think an average year like seventy thousand people die through gun crime. Jeez. So that, I must that, admit, you know, I've yeah. seen quite a few programs on it. Does kind of it such looks like such a beautiful country, uh, and what a shame that there is so much crime. Yeah. And you talk to company people who run really big companies. They're like, you know, they have trucks getting hijacked, and you know, all these extra challenges that you'd never. Did that not think worry about. you about going there? I mean, I'd be petrified. Ah, oh, you know, I found the whole thing pretty exciting, yeah. and I. People told me when I could there, oh, don't walk on the streets and don't do that. I'm like, ah, I'll be fine. And I, I never had a problem. I had my phone, I had my phone stolen at Carnival once, but apart from that, you know, I was fine. I mean, I, was, you know, I had when I was there, three of my consultants were held up at gunpoint. Oh my god! Uh, when I was there, it was pretty normal, uh, but never happened to me. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was lots of extra challenges at so that. And the other thing, which was, you know, just running a recruiting business, the, the, the way, you know, life works in Brazil is very different from Japan in almost every category, right? You know, just the, 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 the work-life balance, for example, you know, yeah, Brazilians, you know, you know, love going out and drinking and, you know, it's living for the day and enjoying the moment. Whereas, you know, right. J- Japan is sort of a little bit more sort of conservative about life. And it goes through to, I guess, 
if you're running a sales business, right, you know, in, in Japan and Singapore, people are quite conservative about their forecasts and stuff, whereas the average Brazilian is very optimistic. So you, you, okay. you get it. So the forecast so you, must you, be you, a nightmare every week then. <laughs> You'd think you got loads uh, coming in until it cuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's, it's really, and also, you know, the, the when I work, because in, in, in Japan and Singapore, yeah, everyone was speaking English, right? Yeah. There's lots and lots of foreigners in the office, whereas in, in, um, in Brazil, I was the only foreigner there. In fact, there was only, I think, five or six foreigners in recruiting in Sao Paulo in general. It was all local. Um, so everything was done in Portuguese. So I got to the office. I had no idea what anyone was talking about. You know, you, you, uh, when you run an office, you, you generally take a lot of your your um uh, i guess guide from just what you hear in the yeah, office people yeah. saying the yeah, making decisions from there absolutely and coach this person coach this person let's yeah, go there yeah i just nothing nothing at all and 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 people you know in in brazil are quite animated and get quite emotional i'm like oh my god so you're not sure happening? they're angry but they're actually just being passionate so how did you go oh, about look, trying to discover they, 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 they would they would definitely have stand-up arguments but they'd be like really good friends the next day so like it was a very wow. culturally different sort of thing and trying to sort of manage when you don't when you all your normal sort of signals are, are, are confused is really so what did you do then what something. what how did you collect the information in those early days then what did you I do? started learning. I started doing learning Portuguese pretty quick. Which <laughs> so, right. is like I'm having lessons like every week, just learning yeah. Portuguese. The only way you understand what's going on. They all spoke English, but between themselves, yeah. they all spoke Portuguese, which is natural, right? Um, uh, so I just had to like just really force myself to learn Portuguese. And like I, I, within sort of six months or a year, I could do a meeting in Portuguese. That's incredible. Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty easy language. It's a Latin language. So, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of the Latin words, have, it's, it's easy to remember. It's different from Japanese or a, or a language like Vietnamese. And was it quite um, different so, from a, like, you know, when you, when you recruit in the UK versus Singapore, Australia, Japan, you know, there, there's some little, little nuances, right? What, yeah, what did you uh, find think, in uh, Brazil? What was different? There's two, there's two key things which, which sort of strike you in trying to you know run a business and, and make money and have a forecast and stuff is uh, just like ever you go and see a client and they're like yeah we're going to work together we're going to do this we're going to do this nice to meet you da 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 and I walk away great so much work we're okay and then nothing happens right everyone's just so friendly and stuff so you you you, you get this sort of false sense of like you know okay we're going to be good we're going to be fine then nothing happens right um, so uh, and equally, when it comes to the candidate side, they, they tend to be quite, uh, they kind of over-exaggerate what they've done and stuff like that. So oh, you have really? some challenge, right. challenges around. That's um, still a little bit like yeah. that out here, though. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's really quite, quite pronounced in that part of the world. So right. you've got to do, I guess, a lot more due diligence yeah. on candidates and interviews and stuff. Otherwise, you, you can get yourself in, in all sorts of bother. Is it more retained um, so or it, contingent, or you know, what's the yeah, balance? Yeah, that's the funny thing. That's the funny thing, right? Yeah, you know, it's you know, while it was a very, very tough market, getting jobs was hard. But when we'd actually get jobs, um, I think I think one third was retained. Um, we used to, we used to give you know wow. pretty healthy discounts. You know, for example, yeah, we'd say you know twenty five percent, you know, non exclusive contingent twenty you know, 3% exclusive contingent and 20% retained, you know, was a general guide. Yeah. Um, and we get we get retained stuff a lot. So while, while there was a certain amount, and we, I kind of, we forced ourselves to, because there was, was a real uncertainty about what was real, what was not, it was kind of, it became a necessity um, to, um, uh, to, to lock 
lock jobs down with retainers actually. Right, interesting. Um, so we got really, really good at doing that. That's really uh, interesting. Getting, getting, getting retainers, which was much better for, you know, forecasting and all the rest of the, the benefits that come with that, right? And it was, it, it, was, it was a very candidate sort of rich market, right? It was job short, candidate rich, complete opposite from Japan. Right, right. and so, ah, okay. Can't get anywhere. Whereas okay. here there's, there's not, they can't get a job and there's this candidates, every, every, every candidate will talk to you. Every, every candidate will go, yeah, I'll talk to you. You know, it's getting candidates was the easiest thing. Right, so it's actually just um, getting the commitment from clients. And did was it traditional market, same as the rest of the world for Robert Walters? Or? You're, you're a classic Robert Walters business, classic. you know. Right. Finance, accounting in the middle, technology, yeah. sales and marketing, and a bit of engineering and, and, and HR on, on and the you side. And you set up three offices, right? What's was- well, Brazil was already there, yeah. and I opened up um, Chile, and I opened up uh, Mexico uh, when I was there uh, as well. Uh, so, um, how was that? Uh, Are they still standing? What was you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a, a Chile office made more money in its second year than the Brazil did in its eleventh year. Wow! Um, what was the reason for that? What was is it a specific yeah, area? Yeah, it's funny. People say, oh, well, you know, it's a small market. There's only, I think, 18 million people in Chile, right? So people say, what are you doing there? You know, why? Yeah. But because it's a small market, you have more leverage and there's, it's a very candidate short market. And whereas the, the, the Chilean way of doing business, they're, they're not as sort of outgoing and optimistic as, as the Brazilians. Okay. They, 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 when they say they're going to do something, it's done, right? Okay, um, so they follow through. So you've got that commitment. Right, okay. And, and but but the thing is, because it's a small market, and I had a guy that I call him the Chozzy, the Chilean Aussie, um, Alfredo. He'd actually <laughs> studied and worked in Australia, and he moved, and he has an Australian passport, Australian wife, um, and he moved back to a, he moved to Chile to open Michael Page Chile, right? So he went to he went to Michael Page, went to Spring, and I got him to come and open that, and he was like he was like a talk like he's an Aussie, Aussie like me. So we we got on really well. Um, and uh, he was so well known. I'd walk down the street. I kid you not. Every time he would run into someone. Every time we go to dinner, I'd love to. Like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. I talk to this wow. guy. He knew everyone, right? So what we while it was a small market, he knew every candidate and his team we brought across. Um, so we had real leverage. So you might not have many jobs, but you could send a shortlist to a client and go. That's the three best people in the market. If you don't take it, that's right. it. Right. So, so whereas Brazil, like you're filling it, yeah. It was, yeah, there was the, in Brazil. You'd send, you know, there's 25, 200 million people in Brazil, right? So you'd send a shortlist down, and they go, ah, not enough. Go and get me more. There's millions of people out there. Whereas Chile, like it was a smaller market, yeah. but we had genuine leverage. We could, he could look in the client and say, listen, these are the three best people in the market, and if you don't take it, someone else is going to take them. Um, so while we wasn't a big market, we had real leverage and real market Very knowledge. Very interesting. Is he still there yeah, now? So we, Alf- Alf- yeah, 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 he's yeah. still there now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great guy. Um, Which office did you then, enjoy the most in terms of setting up for for what reason? That whole experience of uh, I, I I love Chile because we 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 were so successful so quickly, and we we got some really good PR and really good marketing, and yeah, we got we pulled together a really good team really quickly and made we just came out of the gate so fast and were profitable, fully profitable in our first full year, um, which is amazing. That's incredible. Right? That um, is really incredible. Uh, Mexico is more challenging. Michael Page dominates. Michael Page in Mexico is seven times bigger than their local nearest competitor. They have 200 really? people and Hayes really? had 30. It's this incredible monopoly. I think what's interesting though, you in. don't see a lot of internal people moving from the pages from those sites though, do you? 
I mean, how many times have you seen someone in Asia, Michael Page, that's worked in the Mexico office, for instance? I don't see a lot of that. Uh, no, that, that, right? it's, it's dominated. It's dominated. There's a lot more foreigners in Mexico. They're dominated by, there's a lot of French uh, from Michael Page France, Michael Page Spain mm. who work there. So they've got a very international office and they dominate. They Interesting. Dominate. Um, well, let's not talk but, about Michael Page anymore. I want to talk about, I want to move on to talk about um, proof of search. I want to know about your, oh, yeah. your new, your new baby. I want to, I want to get into it. I love that you had to, you sat back so that I could see your t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're now in present day, May, 2021. You're in a swanky pad in Queensland overlooking a beach. Looks absolutely gorgeous. And you have just set up proof of search that focuses yeah. on providing blockchain professionals for organizations. So Tell me, tell me a little bit more about blockchain, the new business. You know, put it into layperson terms for me for someone that is a little bit kind of, uh, yeah, not still trying to learn a little bit more about that that world. Yeah, if, if we get, blockchain and crypto uh, are sort of inextricably linked, um, and the, the press that most people have read is all about you know Bitcoin yeah. and, and Silk Road and and yeah. Elon Musk and all that madness, right? Um, but the, the underlying technology that's been developing in the last four to five years is um, uh, is what's going to change everything. Uh, so it's called distributed ledger technology. So you know everything that happens is immutable, and it's on a it's on a network of computers that can't be changed. And and what what the real benefit of that is that you don't need a middleman uh, to to be a point of trust. The, the the trust is actually built into the algorithm, and it's built in built into the the, the way of recording transactions. So um, it's just going to make everything faster and cheaper and um, I guess less easier to be ripped off and, and hacked, right? You know, a lot of the, the hacks that you see where someone's gone into a central organization and hacked all their data out, whereas that can't happen in, like in, in blockchain. It just happened, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great example. So this, this, the, the way of actually running data and, and managing um, events effectively is going to change. It is changing dramatically, right? So everything's going to be so, you know, there's a thing you'll probably hear about like smart contracts, right? So we, when, when everyone's bought a house, they go, why am I spending like $3,000, $4,000 on a, on a lawyer to sign yeah, a document? Crazy. Smart, yep. smart contracts, will, it will, all that will be in the thing. So it'll be click this, you'll have your digital identity, which is on the blockchain, and you'll click that, you click that, mm. and it's done, and we don't need a lawyer. And it's all secure, um, right? Um, so you've got that, and you know, the other sort of application that it'll probably have the most dramatic effect on, I guess, the, the, the world as a whole is sort of digital identity. Um, there's, I think, somewhere like 3 billion people on the planet that have no bank account. They've got no digital identity, right? Wow. So they, they can't get a loan. They can't own their property. They can't really move on. And, it's, and, it, and they're kind of stuck in this in this poverty loop and it's very expensive being poor you know you 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 you're constantly just paying cash for this cash for that so what blockchain will will will, will do it is doing right now cardano is probably the, the leading company in this area um it's going to allow all of these people in africa to to actually you know start tapping into all of the benefits that we in the western world enjoy um wow. and the, the amount of wealth that will will be generated from that in Africa alone is estimate, estimated to be $3 trillion. So Jesus, the impact got, on that in terms of that as a society though, and economy, and I imagine not just like Africa, but also places like the Philippines actually in terms yep. of sort of that point, yeah? All, 
yeah, all of those you know people who have unfortunately been sort of stuck over yeah. there and able to sort of enjoy the benefits of you know us who, who've grown up in a, in a developed society is, is all going to change off the back of it. So it can be run on distributed computers. Um, it's going to be um, extraordinary. So there's all sorts of other, but also the recruitment uh, industry. Right, I know when we started talking last week, and obviously I needed to do a little bit of homework because I had no idea. All I thought I just all I heard of is Bitcoin. I really didn't know anything about it. And when I was sort of researching about it is even in the recruitment industry where you'd have kind of your own um, for someone's, you know, CV, you know, if an an organization was able to have a blockchain where that person's CV testimonials, everything connected to it would be constantly updated. So what they call it, a cryptographic profile throughout their entire career. I mean, that's just so fascinating. yeah, the, 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 probably the most, the biggest deal that's just been done is with the Ethiopian government. So the five, there's five, there's 200, 120 million people in Ethiopia. Wow. Um, and they, they've just put 5 million students on the blockchain. Their entire, you know, um, academic records will be in one place. No one can change it and they can just take that anywhere, wherever wow. they go. So it's going to be, everything's going to be faster, easier, cheaper. Um, another example, like, you know, uh, peer-to-peer lending, right? When, when you when you lend borrowing money for a house or something, yeah. it's quite expensive. Why is it quite expensive? Because you've got these huge banks yeah. with you know big buildings and expensive executives who yeah. all run that. They're the middleman. Uh, whereas you know this 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 these companies like Ave, which you've got like I think already like three billion dollars uh, on peer-to-peer lending network. Um, and there's only 15 people work there. And the algorithm, so there's someone else on the other side of your lending transaction, um, but it's all run by the blockchain. So you don't need to have all these people running it. The, you know, the, the blockchain will, will just run everything. Gosh, uh, so it's, incredible. it's a bit like if you remember back in the day when you probably first moved to Singapore, you have to pay extraordinary amounts of money to, to, to phone back to England, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. over time, it just kind of got free. Yeah. I think there's not yeah. going to be some some huge sort of blockchain moment uh, we're all going, oh, we're all doing on the blockchain. Things will just start to happen in a, in yeah. a more smoother, faster yeah. way. And you won't even know that blockchain technology is doing it. What made you decide uh, but, to kind of get that? I mean, it seems like that is an area of real passion for you. And all I can see is in your past with Earthstream and that kind of desire to, to go after something you knew was different than the traditional kind of markets that Robert Waters are in. So what's what? where has this come from, this kind of passion? Is it because it's new and it's upcoming and you like this 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 kind of new areas or you know what is it that's driving that for you to set up a business that just specializes in that well i think it's 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 ultra super new and st- still very small but when you when you go out and you want to start something from zero um you know if, if you've got to really think okay what's my competitive landscape and you know going in and saying i'm another finance recruiter and competing yeah. against robert walters and michael page yeah, yeah you you're, it's, it's going to be very hard to to make get any traction so you probably want to you want to choose something where there's I, I, I there's very few people doing it right now and take a long-term view so i guess it was driven in you know in two, two things by two things uh, number one just a lack of incumbents doing it Mm. Um, and um, just this is really going to be huge. It's going to take a you know some time for it to to get to the critical mass. It's going to you know warrant you know recruiting firms of you know fifteen twenty people. It'll, it'll be quite small for a while, I think. Um, but you've you've got to get into stuff early. I mean, if you go back to what ninety four ninety five, there was only forty six million people on the internet. And in fact, I was just I, I just 
saw something today. It was, it was an article uh, from the newspaper in, in 2000 going, millions of people have given up on the internet. It's a fad. <laughs> True. A bit like how um, everyone felt about LinkedIn though, wasn't it? You said there was a second yeah. thing. You said lack of people in that market. What was the second reason that made you decide? Uh, and, just, and, and just a high growth area, right? Yeah, right. just something which is going to really keep growing. Um, because there's so a few is, players in the UK. I know there was, um, I don't need to mention them, but there were a few blockchain recruitment firms in the UK, which I didn't yep. even know about until I searched yep. it, but couldn't see anything out over this neck of the woods. So do you feel that this is something that everyone's going to start jumping behind? Are, are people doing it in, are recruitment recruiters doing oh, it sure. in small little sure. areas already out here? Or? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, yeah, there's the, all, all the big firms um, in, within six to 12 months will have, you know, blockchain divisions like they had cloud computing divisions right, or, you know, right. disruption divisions. It's, it's just another, I guess, technology in, in some categorizations. It's it's probably going to dominate. But, you know, a, a, every big recruiting firm will be looking at this um, in some form or another. Um, but um, you know, having a, a hyper-specialist firm that does that will always get you um, a seat at the table, I believe. And how receptive um, have clients been with you? I mean, you've just, you know, you've just set up, just you, um, you know, how oh, receptive very, have they very, been? I, 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 yeah, no, it's been it's been quite incredible actually, because I was quite specific about the name of the firm. Because if you know, um, it's called Proof of Search, which is a play on um, the terms Proof of Work and Proof of Stake, which is basically the way that the blocks um, consensus is built. They use a proof of work or a proof of stake. I won't go into detail, but it's a way of doing things. So calling it proof of search, um, people automatically know uh, that you have an understanding of how a blockchain works yeah, just yeah. because you've it, – it, it, it's a – And your um, logo as well. That's blocks, right, from when I look at that yeah, from a, your yeah, T-shirt. Blocks. There's blocks, yeah. Yeah, no, um, yeah, my mate Mikey Evans did it for me. Um and, uh, yeah, so I, I reached out to, you know, the CEOs of two of the biggest companies in, in the sector about, look, I'm, and I'm very honest, I'm just launching this, it's just getting going. Um, and they came back to me within an hour or so. Seriously? Um, yeah, so I, the, the, the reception has been really good. And a, a lot of the blockchain um, companies that you, you're going to talk to, are, are all they've only been in existence for a couple of years themselves, right? right? So that's all quite new. Um, it's so all they're, quite fresh. They're, they're, they're all trying to make their know, way. Interesting. And they're not going to beat you up for being a startup because they're a startup. No, that's true. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, you don't have to pretend so, yeah, they, that you they, know they, they, what, what they're doing, which most of us have had to do in recruitment. and, and so, um, so, so oddly, oddly enough, being a startup in that area actually works to your favour in, in, in an odd way. Uh, so it's, um, so how does yeah, that no feel now to be in a startup? You've, you've run, you know, you start, you know, years ago, obviously, when Robert Waters was small out, out, out in Sydney and Australia, sorry, out in Australia and out in um, Singapore and and you've grown with Robert Waters and, and created absolute empires. So now that it's you and a few support staff, you know, for yourself, what's the future look like? Do you want to keep it lean and mean? Like, I mean, are you a different part in your yeah. life now? Are you chasing a big, you know, to grow that? What, what's it? What's it going to look like for the future for you? Yeah, look, I, I think you know, um, you know, if you look at you know the early parts of your career, you sort of define your success by how many people you manage, yeah. right? Uh, how much money you earn yeah yeah that that doesn't go away away. Uh, you know that's that's still factors uh i I think you know i'd I'd like to sort of you know i don't want to have lots and lots of people i I think i'd like to spend the first year you're doing my best to sort of you know build all that it's gonna it's gonna be a slow burn right 
uh, and, and I, I think where this journey takes me um, is I, I'm still not sure. There's, there's, I have an idea of what type of roles and what type of businesses will thrive, but it's evolving at such a rapid pace. I'm, I'm hesitant to sort of put too many sort of Jump guides on it. On it. It's, 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 right. a, it's an area that, that I, I, I the, the macro big picture um, is moving in the right direction. I've done, you know, th th with the pandemic, you know, I, I, it allowed me a lot of time to go down a lot of rabbit holes and do a lot of research around different business models, you know, that it's being used for supply chain, for example, you know, all of this stuff is, is, is going so fast. I mean, I, I'll give you probably one example that of a blockchain that people could probably relate to mm. a, little, a little bit more effectively um, is supply chain. A lot, a lot of recruiters do work in supply yeah. chain. It's a big thing, particularly in Singapore, right? You yeah. Know, we, we, what's, Singapore is basically the heart of a yeah. big supply chain. Um, and what, what blockchain technology enables people to do, it allows you to track um, the origin of everything through a distributed ledger. Super fast, super cheap. Um, so there's companies like VeChain and Yoji, uh, which are using this stuff. And it's going to, you know, if you're a supermarket, for example, yeah. right, and you, you get an, an apple that, that makes someone sick, um, typically you've had to shut down the entire fruit supply chain or something like that. Yeah. With blockchain, you'll be able to get to the source of that apple and, and shut it down. So it, it, it allows wow. companies to operate like, you know, uh, wow. the Walmart, it's, it's Walmart, BMW, Starbucks. Chemical um, industry, that would be interesting as well, all those kind of they're all, they're all They're all using blockchain at the back end to, to track the origin of their products and it's just going to grow super fast. That's incredible. So, and I suppose, yeah. if, you know, you're based in Australia, I gather – that this would be a global organization it's not just going to be focused because of the nature of the industry oh yeah you you, you it's, it's amazing you, you 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 do research on some of the bigger companies and the hr director will be sitting in ireland and you know the, the legal director will be sitting in vancouver and you know yeah you know, they were sort of um you know it's a distributed ledger driven business yeah. so distributed workforce is is just seems a natural thing um you know and i, I Normally, if I was going to launch a firm, I'd be sitting in Sydney or Brisbane. I'm sitting here at the Sunshine Coast, right? So um, you can kind of do this stuff from anywhere. And the, and the jobs, you know, there's a, you know, Switzerland's huge in blockchain, Israel. Um, there's little pockets around the world where you've got people. So you can um, – and, and Singapore has got some really interesting companies in blockchain. Zilliqa, uh, that company is doing incredible stuff based out of Singapore, right? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so they they're kind of everywhere, and no one like no one's like, oh, what are you doing there? I had another mate of mine's doing doing some blockchain roles, you know, coincidentally, um, and and he got a hold of these guys, and they're they're operating out of a couple of yurts in Panama. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're like it's it's like oh okay, you know, no big deal, you know, everyone's got the different. internet. So do you think? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, how how have kind of ex colleagues from Robert Walters taken that you've come you've come the other side of the world? Um, you're now doing blockchain, your own little thing that you're growing. How, how's that gone down? Yeah, good. Everyone's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I think everybody knew. I, I've been overseas. I'm, I'm 51, and I've been overseas for a total of 26 years, wow. so more than half of my life. So it was, you know, I've, my family lives up here, uh, and I've got you know a couple of Brazilian stepsons. Uh, so getting them to, to, to live here at the Sunshine Coast versus, you know, living in Sao Paulo, which is not fun if you're 10, yeah. um, was just kind of a natural thing to do, you know, so at that stage of my life. So everyone's like, it's like, oh, finally you went home. Yeah. Finally. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't worked in Australia for 20 years, so I, I figured, you know, best thing, start your own business. 
Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And what if there's any listeners out there that are either recruiters or companies, you know, is there anything that you want to be saying to them in, in terms of your kind of final words of what proof of search or, you know, the future of proof of search or any anyone that wants to reach out? Would it be anything specific that you'd be keen for people to reach out to you on? No, look, I, I think I think my sort of final words is just to sort of, you know, just do a bit of reading it. You know, everyone reads about, you know, sort of Elon Musk and, and Bitcoin, yes, all this sort of yes, crazy a lot stuff. But like, it's just... I think it's going to be really useful for anyone just to educate yourself yeah. on on the um, on some of the the technological innovations that the blockchain is going to bring to the world and understand how it's going to affect your client base because almost everyone everyone's client base is going to have yes, some form of impact right. by blockchain and and being the person who understands it will put you in a really good uh, position because it's going to be if like you know one of the first people to to understand Java would have done really well in recruiting right yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I think it, it, my advice is just um, uh, get out there and, and learn about it because it is coming um, and it's going to be bigger than people realise. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, no, I, I, there's not so much of your time. I've got a, I've got my quick fire rounds. I've completely forgotten. At the end of every uh, podcast, I do my quick fire round. So what book or podcast are you listening to right now or video or article or whatever that's really that's really interesting you and why? Ah, oh, does it have to be business related? No, or just, God, just, no. You know, Absolutely not. Do whatever you like. You should li- listen to Hamish and Andy, two of the funniest men in Australia. Hamish and Andy. Are, are they comedians Hamish or something? And Andy, Hamish and Andy podcast. They, they're Australia's greatest comedians. They have the – if you are having a bad week and you just want to hear two guys <laughs> that just love life and are, are incredibly creative with all of the things that they do, those two guys are absolutely brilliant And, and it's comedians. a podcast. Podcast. Hamish and Andy. Hamish and Andy. Right, got it. I'm going to check that out. I'll put it on the show notes so that people can have a look at it. What's your one golden rule at living a fulfilled slash good life? Getting up early and doing some exercise. It changes your attitude on everything you do during the day. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. It was awesome catching up and for coming on to the 50th episode of Talent Talk Asia. It's been awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. It's, it's, been, it's been good fun. So uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. And I, I might I say your, your, your questions have really evolved. So congratulations <laughs> on this. Are you saying that my first few episodes oh, no, were rubbish? On, <laughs> I'm a bit of a fan. I've been watching a few, and, and you, the evolution of your podcast has just, it's just been Thanks, great mate. to watch. So congratulations. Thanks, well done. <laughs> Thanks. If you'd like to reach out to Kevin Gibson, we'll leave the details on the show notes on Spotify um, or on our company website, so you'll find all the details of any podcast gets that are mentioned as well. Uh, we've also included a couple of videos and podcasts on the topic of blockchain. Um, so if it's a topic that you're keen to make sense of a little bit more, then check those out. And if you're a recruitment firm looking to empower your female recruiters, please reach out to discuss membership with Weira, Women in Recruitment Asia. Um, if you're interested in being a guest on the show um, or keen on our e-learning coaching or training offerings at the career establishment, please reach out. Have a great day and be safe out there. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.